Listen, we, uh, we finished up our, our last sermon series, Little Foxes. Everybody seemed to like that really good, even though I tore everybody apart. You know what I mean? And it, it was rough. But apparently most of the people in our church, uh, they, they like a good strong word, some good strong meat that cuts them up. I don't know why they've gotten used to that. But, but somebody said this morning, you know, the Tigers lost last night. And so if it wasn't an encouraging word, they'd probably just get up and walk out. They just, they just had too much. And so I'm going to try to bring you an encouraging word, but uh, I want to start a, a series unless something changes between now and then, and it's liable too. But, but in my mind, I have it where I'm going to preach a, a few messages uh, geared a certain way. But I want to call it the series Grace Upon Grace, and we're going to talk about literally just, just Jesus and how he deals with people and how he relates to people and how he ministers to people. And so the series is going to be called Grace Upon Grace, and, and this particular message is going to be called Mount Zion. And you can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1 if you want to. But i tell you one thing I want to do before we get started. Uh, if you would, won't you, would you stand to your feet with me? I want us to pray together this morning. And one of the reasons I want to pray together, on Wednesday night, and like she said, if, you don't, if you've not been here on Wednesday nights, I, I suggest that you come because it is a way. You know, Sunday morning is awesome, but you can't make disciples just on Sunday morning. And you can't have fellowship with people just on Sunday morning. You got to figure out ways to be in community and to connect with people. And you got to find every opportunity that you can to not only study the word on your own, but come and hear the word. And we've got uh, opportunities to pray for one another. And it's more open on Wednesday nights and different things like that. So if you're available. But one of the things we prayed about Wednesday night specifically was fear. And I still feel that in my heart. And, you know, a lot of times you can see fear manifesting uh, in a group of people. And, but I feel like right now, and it's been going on for a while now, obviously, I feel like fear and anxiety is at an all-time high. And I feel like people are under the oppression of it. And Satan loves to keep people in fear because if he can keep you in fear, you won't make decisions based on the leading of the Holy Spirit. You'll make decisions based upon fear. And when you do that, he's got you controlled. And, and, and we cannot make decisions based upon fear as the children of God. Fear is not our leader. The Holy Spirit is our leader. Amen. And so I want us to pray, you know, right now that people are talking about the coronavirus. Sonny told me this morning, one of his buddies from Clay County called it the granola virus. You eat too much granola, it'll be, it'll be bad. But no, you know, a lot of that's going around and it's instilling fear in people's hearts, isn't it? But I want us to pray as a church that not only would we not be driven by fear, but that, that God would bring an end to this sickness, to this disease in people's lives, and he would show up and move. So can we just pray that? Let's pray together right quick. Won't you lift up your voice with me? Father, right now in Jesus' name, God, we come before the throne of grace boldly to ask for help in time of need. And Lord, right now, we just declare over this house that, God, you've not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, Lord. We're not led by fear. We renounce fear. We break the spirit of fear off of people's lives this morning. And we speak peace and Holy Spirit, we choose to be led by you. We will not allow fear to make our decisions because, God, greater is he who is in us than he who is in this world. And so we ask for a fresh infilling of your spirit this morning. Just ask him, say, Lord, fill me with your spirit this morning. God, we're open to hear your voice. God, we follow your lead and we overcome every fear and every obstacle that comes our way. And Lord, right now we ask for healing to be released in bodies, in minds, in lives, God, and that we, we come against this every virus, flu and, 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 and coronavirus in the name of Jesus. We bind it and we declare the word of the Lord that he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under 
under the shadow of the Almighty. Lord, we will not be afraid of the sickness and the pestilence that walks in darkness. Though a thousand may fall at our side and ten thousand at our right hand, we declare that it shall not come near us. We plead the blood of Jesus over our people and over our homes. And Lord God, we pray that we would carry your power to pray for the sick as you called us to and that those sick would be healed and that they would recover in the name of Jesus. Lord, release faith into your people this morning, God. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. We lift you up, God. We magnify you this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Can you say amen to that when we come into agreement with it? Amen. Amen. Yeah. Give him praise. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah, you can be seated. We'll get into the Word. I just, I, I tell you folks, more and more, that when I first came to City of Hope Church, we were praying and fasting uh, 21 days, as we usually do at the beginning of the year, and the Lord dealt with me then, and I remember I wrote it in my prayer book, and the Lord dealt with me and said something like this to me in my heart. He said, Clay, there, in order for me to do what I need to do in City of Hope Church and in this community, you all have to learn that you need a prayer covering. You need people that are constantly interceding and praying on behalf of the church, on behalf of the people, because you will be attacked and you will face obstacles. And if the prayer covering is not there, it's going to be hard for you to sustain what I want to do in your life. And I'm telling you, I'm listen, listen to me. When we come together, when we pray, like, just like we did right then, it seems like a simple thing. Usually we talk about prayer and we just go through the motions of prayer and we open a service with a prayer it's no big deal. But man, I'm telling you, we have got to become a people of prayer that will intercede for one another, that when we see sickness or fear, we pray for our brothers and sisters. And get in the habit of throughout your day when you're busy doing tasks, get people on your mind and call their name out under your breath and pray for them and intercede. Amen. I'm counting on you guys to be in prayer for one another and, and, and prayer for the church and just in prayer for our community and our nation. It's so important that we do that. But uh, we'll go ahead and get into the Word. Amen. Let me calm down a little bit. Settle into myself this morning. I've not had much sleep lately. But uh, the Lord's good, right? So John chapter 1, I'm going to read verse 14 and then 16 through 18. And this is kind of the theme verse for the the message series that I'm going to get into. Here's what it says. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God But the only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Amen. Now this is, I love this passage of Scripture. The whole book of John is amazing. But John 1, just the way that he opens it is amazing to me. He says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And he's, he's talking about the Trinity. God the Father eternally existed with the Word who became flesh and became the Son of God and the Holy Spirit, right? So you, you have that Trinity at work in the very beginning. When God the Father spoke, the Spirit was hovering over the waters and His Word went forth from His mouth and the Trinity created all creation. And it's a beautiful 
thing. Now, you, you read this and the scripture says the word became flesh. Now, I remember when I was in college, this is something that really shocked me because I took a philosophy class. And what I learned was that logos was the word right there for, for word. It's the word that we get. It's the Greek word for logo, for, for word. Logos. And in Greek philosophy, I was reading Aristotle and Socrates and all these different dudes. And I didn't know this about the Bible yet because I just wasn't a Bible reader at the time. But when I was reading this philosophy, these guys, you have people like Socrates, Aristotle, Plato. They all worshiped these other gods and had many gods. And all three of these men, through pursuit of wisdom, finally came to the decision and this idea that, you know what, really, there's only one God out there. We're not sure who he is, but we have come to the conclusion that there's one God and he is the Logos. He's the unmoved mover. We don't know how he's at work. He's probably disconnected from us, but he's out there moving things, operating things, controlling things. And they came to an awareness that there was one God. They just didn't know who he was. Now, John was writing in the Greek language when he wrote this book and he's writing and he begins to tell people, hey, yeah, you're right. In the beginning was the Logos, you philosophers. You're right. He was. The word was with God in the beginning and the word was God and through him all things were made. But let me tell you something about this Logos. Y'all thought he was far off out there, that he was disconnected connected with us that you couldn't touch him that really he had he didn't care about you he had nothing that he wanted to do with you he was he was un, uninterested in the affairs of men but he said no that's not true that logos that you're talking about that word that logos has become flesh and dwelt among us and you can now see that God in the face of Jesus Christ he is God incarnate in flesh the scripture says that in Christ himself all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him bodily you want to see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you look at Jesus and you see the fullness of the Godhead bodily. God is saying that this is the revelation of who I am. The Logos is God's thought about God's self. It's the voice of God, the Word of God being communicated to you. So in other words, when we talk about the Word of God, and this is something that we say a lot in here, or we have at least a few times. When we talk about the Word of God, we are talking about the Bible. We are talking about Scripture. But I want you to understand that biblically, the word of God, whenever you say the word of God, the first thing that should come to your mind is actually a person. Amen. The first thing that come to your mind whenever you think of here, the word of God should be a person because the word of God is Jesus Christ. He is the eternal word of God and the Bible is, is the word of God in a secondary sense. And what I mean by that is that the Bible was designed to point us to the true word of God, Jesus Christ. We have the written word of God to point us to the eternal word of God that is Jesus Christ. And so what God is saying is, you know what, throughout the Old Testament and, and, and into the New, everything that I wanted to say, I couldn't fully sum up in a book or I would have just given you a book. But I gave you a book because ultimately I'm trying to point you to the one who is the eternal word of God. And, and, and throughout the Old Testament, God was trying to reveal himself to people. He was trying to show himself to people. He was working on revealing himself, but he could never fully articulate it in a way that they could fully understand. And he said, so I want to speak to you. I want you to know who I am. So I'm going to send you something greater. And that is, I'm going to send you my very own son. He is the word of God. He is everything that I have to say. If God has something to say, you can find it in Jesus Christ. Amen. That Jesus is what God has to say. And sometimes here's the thing. You can read the Bible. And every time I start to teach on this subject, I get kicked back because because people feel like I attack the Old Testament. Look, can I tell you this? We believe that the word of God is infallible. 
We believe that it's authoritative. It's inspired by God. It's God breathed. And from the front to the back, from Genesis to Revelation to the very last word, it is all inspired by God, all profitable, all good for use. But that does not mean that I can just randomly select a text from the Old Testament and not rightly divide it and interpret it and apply it to my life. Because there are some texts that if you apply directly to your life, we'd be stoning adulterers. Amen. Because there is a difference between an old covenant and a new covenant. doesn't mean I don't go to the Old Testament and not draw things from there. I absolutely do. But everything in the Old Testament has a purpose, and that purpose is to bring you to Jesus Christ. If you read the Old Testament, there's, there's people right now that believe the Old Testament, but they don't know Jesus. In Jesus' time, he preached to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees had the Old Testament memorized, but they didn't know the God who wrote the book. It is possible to know Scripture, to respect Scripture, to respect the Old Testament, and not know the God who wrote it. Amen. I don't know about you, but I, want, I love Scripture. I mean, I stay in it. I read the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. I love finding Jesus in the Old Testament. But I know that the end goal of the Scripture is to point me to Jesus and a relationship with Him. Jesus is what God has to say. And the Old Testament was given to point us to Jesus. And see, it says, from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. In other words, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant that God made with Israel, it was never going to fulfill anybody. You trying to live by your good works and you trying to follow laws to be in right standing with God was never going to fulfill anybody. Jesus comes and He said, listen boys, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to say we're throwing it out. He said, I have come to fulfill it. I am the fulfillment of it and you're going to finally find truth true fulfillment in your life, not by trying to be a better person, but by having a relationship with God the Father through my eternal sacrifice and coming to know me. That's where fulfillment comes, people. It doesn't come from religion. It doesn't come from you trying your hardest to be a better person. It comes from being reunited with your Creator, and you can only get there through the blood of Jesus. You can only get there through the blood of Jesus. Uh, They quoted it this morning, right? Jessica was up here and I had that verse. I was reading it this morning exactly, and she had no idea what I was preaching, but she, she read the verse that I was actually reading this morning that Jesus has given us a new and living way. It's not the old way. It's a, and that's what Hebrews is about. It's about coming out of an old covenant into a greater covenant. Into a greater covenant. And a lot of people still have this old covenant mentality. But see, what we read right there was he distinguishes it specifically. He says the law was given through Moses... But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He's distinguishing between what Moses instituted and what Jesus Christ instituted. And then he makes this statement. And this statement in the Bible blows my mind all the time. He said, no man has seen God at any time. But the only God who is in the Father's heart, beside the Father's heart, He said, he has revealed him to us. In other words, Moses, even though he had a relationship with God, and it says he spoke with him as a friend speaks to his friend. And and, and it says, "But, but Moses didn't see God fully. Moses said, let me see your glory, God. And God passed by, hit him in the cleft of the rock and showed him his back parts. Elijah was a prophet, heard the word of God. Jeremiah was a prophet, heard the word of God. But they never saw God fully. They pointed to a time that was greater when God would fully manifest himself and reveal himself. They were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for a Savior. They never could. They they got glimpses of God, but they never saw the fullness. And when Jesus came, then there was the fullness walking right in front of them. And so many of them missed it. 
And I promise you right now, some of you, you have, uh, you have an idea of God that is different than Jesus Christ. And it's, if it's different than Jesus Christ, it is not the true God. Somebody amen me this morning. Are y'all Christians? We're Christ followers. We follow Christ. He's the one that we worship. He's the object of our worship. And when our focus is on Jesus, all of a sudden scripture begins to reveal itself to us. But see, many Christians, they still live under an old covenant mentality. Now, the old covenant was established at a place called Mount Sinai. Y'all ever heard of Mount Sinai? And at Mount Sinai is when Moses got the Ten Commandments and he came down the mountain with the Ten Commandments. He was on Mount Sinai. But see, it talks in Scripture about the new covenant that was established on a different mountain. And the Scripture says that that was established on Mount Zion. Now, Mount Zion is literally a place in Israel. And it is said that on Mount Zion is where Jesus had his last supper with his disciples. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood, which is shed for you. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And he instituted that new covenant in his blood on Mount Zion. And after he did that on Passover and he died, 50 days later on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell and they were on Mount Zion when the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost. And what you'll find out in Scripture if you read is that the day that the Ten Commandments were given from Moses on Mount Sinai was the day of Pentecost. The day that the Holy Spirit fell from heaven, right, was also when? On the day of Pentecost. So they're, they're trying to distinguish between Moses and Jesus through these Scriptures. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Let's read this together. Verse 18 through 24, it says this, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest. Now he is actually saying this is, he's talking about Mount Sinai. He's saying, you ain't like those guys in the Old Testament. You've not come to Mount Sinai. You've not come to the mountain where there was blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. Can you imagine, you imagine coming into church this morning and me preaching such a hard message that y'all just start begging, please, man, don't give us no more. That's too heavy. That's too hard. They begged that it not be spoken to them anymore. They said, this is not good news. This is bad. We're scared to death. And it says, they begged that it not be spoken to them anymore. And it says, for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. Some of you hunters, you like that right there. And you're like, you know what? I'd have been down there shooting them animals with arrows right at the bottom. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. But notice right here where it switches. You've not come to that mountain. He says, this is the difference between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. You have come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So do you see the difference? I, I, I got to slow down to teach a little bit this morning because this is important because I, I talk to people all the time and what I notice about people is they don't understand the covenant that they have with Jesus Christ. It's like they say, well, Jesus died for my sins, but I still got to earn my salvation. I still got to work. I still got to figure this thing out. I still got to do it. You, you can't save yourself. That's what the Old Testament was all about. Trying to teach you you couldn't save yourself, that you needed a savior. 
And see, there, he's, he's trying to reveal that here in the book of Hebrews. Paul is writing about these things over and over. And if you go, if you were to read in Exodus 19, you see that's when they go up on the mountain. They go up on the mountain and it's really a frightening sight. And what you see is this. Israel is brought out of slavery. They're enslaved in Egypt and God has them apply the blood of the lamb to the doorpost. You remember this. And that blood of the lamb is representative of Christ's sacrifice on the cross for us. And when that blood is applied to the doorpost, the death angel passes over, but it doesn't touch them because the blood is applied. And then Moses raises up the next day and after death has hit those in the world, but not them that are under the blood. They cross through the Red Sea, which is a symbol of our baptism in water. And they cross through the Red Sea and their enemies are drowned behind them. That was called Passover wasn't it? Now, 50 days go by. And during those 50 days, they are in the wilderness. And most of the people, they're complaining, they're murmuring. They say, hey, Moses, why'd you bring us out here, bro, to just be starving and hungry? And God never dealt with them according to, the, to, uh, to their rebellion. He always dealt with them in grace. When they cried out and they said, we're starving, God rained manna down from heaven. When they said, we're thirsty, God said, smite the, the rock. And it says that that rock was Christ and water flowed out, representing the Holy Spirit. Every time they wanted something, every time they murmured, every Every time they complained and rebelled, God in his grace supplied their need for them, even though they weren't deserving of it. He was dealing with them according to grace. Then all of a sudden they come to Exodus 19 and God recognizes that he's something's got to happen here. And the people come before Moses and they do not want a relationship with God. Can you imagine that? Now, I want you to understand this. Most people, most people, you say, well, I ain't like that. I want a relationship with God. I bet you that you don't realize how many people they come to church and what they want is exactly what Israel wanted and they don't realize it. it's not God that they want at the end of the day. They want God to bless them and they think if they are a good enough person that He will bless them. They believe that. That's, ex that's, ex that's the old covenant mentality. That was their mentality and God had to teach them that this is no way to live. If we live to where I bless you based on how good you are, you ain't going to be blessed. Somebody amen me this morning. If I only get blessed because I do everything right, I'm going to be in bad shape because I don't know about you, but I mess up sometimes. I'm not a flawless person. Even, when, even at my best, there's still some things in me that are broken. And if it counts on my fickle attitude and my, my, my things like that, well, then I'm going to be, I'm be coming in here every Sunday just hoping I can do more for the Lord to be blessed. And people are in bondage because of that. And you know what they said? They said, we don't want to talk to him. We can't hear his words. We don't want to hear his words, Moses. We don't want a personal, intimate relationship with him. You do that for us, Moses. And let me tell you something. Some people even in the church. I'm about to preach this morning. Some people even in the church, they don't want a relationship with God. They want the pastor or somebody else, maybe their mama, to have a good relationship with God for them. God don't want your mama's relationship. He wants you. He wants you in relationship. He wants you to come. You don't have to call me to ask you to pray. You got the same power in prayer that I got because we don't come in our own goodness. We come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't got to ask me to pray for you. Your prayer works as good as mine does. Man, and if you believed that about yourself, if you knew the identity that you had in Christ, you wouldn't worry about asking me, son. You would go to the Lord and pray yourself because you knew that when you stood before the courts of heaven that you stood there as if you were as righteous as Jesus Christ himself. 
And he received your prayer that way. Man, I get fired up about this stuff. Because this is good news. This is why they call it the gospel. This is why they call it the gospel, because it is good news. And they come up and they say, listen, don't speak to us about that. Moses, you go up, you have a relationship with God. And see, it was only after the law was given at Sinai that God started to deal with them differently. Now, the Bible teaches this, right? Romans 4, 15. It says, because the law brings about wrath. Amen, right? He says, because for the, where there is no law, there's no transgression. I want you to understand this. If there were no law, what would happen in society? Yeah, they're doing that over in California and some things. Like right, right, right now it's happening. Like, like you, you don't get arrested right now. There's, they outlawed any kind of laws uh, where, where for like petty theft. So people are going into grocery stores and just loading up their, their, their buggies and just kind of walking out and saying, forget y'all, I'm out, you know. Because, I mean, because there's no laws. And, we're, and, and so God is not for lawlessness. Never think that when I'm preaching this that God is for lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness and, and, and God is not for that. But see, there's something different that he wants to do. We're going to get to it. He says, where there is no law, there is no transgression. But Romans, the next one in Romans, Romans 3.20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. In other words, God is saying, I didn't give you the Ten Commandments so that you could keep them. And be justified before me. I gave you the Ten Commandments so that you would know you were a sinner and you would recognize how sinful you were and you would come to the end of yourself and say, God, help me. I messed up. I need a savior. And this is why sometimes when we preach about sin, for example, because I'm not one of those. I don't I don't believe in grace to the point that we never talk about sin. You come to this church, we're going to talk about your sexual sin. We're going to talk about all kinds of messed up stuff sometimes and people are going to be uncomfortable. But do you know why? Because when we talk about those things and we expose them, that's the only thing that leads them to the realization. Oh, my gosh, I do have sin. I need a savior. If all we talk about is how much uh, God loves you all the time and, and all of that and we never deal with the issues of your heart, then you'll never turn to God because you think you don't need him. You think he's just up there to pat you on the head. No, he wants your heart transformed. And that's what grace is about. But if I don't recognize that I've got a disease, I'm not going to go to the doctor, folks. You know what I'm saying? I have to. I, that's what the law does. It brings the knowledge of sin. And here's what he says. So they come to the mountain in verse in, in Exodus 19, verse eight. Here's what the people say. All that the Lord has spoken in Exodus 19, eight, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. I may not have that verse up, but it's in your Bible. He says, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses, you just go get from God what we're supposed to do and we'll do whatever he says. But see, what they thought, they were presumptuous. They thought that whatever commandment God gave them, they would be able to keep it. I, I don't know if you know this or not, right? But let, let's, let, let's go through all of Scripture. In the Old Testament, what man ever kept all of the law? Nobody. Praise God. That's a good answer. You got it. Nobody ever throughout human history ever kept the law. There was only one man to ever keep the law flawlessly. And you know who his name was? Jesus. Man, that's awesome, isn't it? Nobody could ever keep the law except Jesus. See, but we've got this presumption and they had this presumption. You know what? And so the Lord responds. He says, all right, guys, you want me to deal with you according to how good you are. You want me to deal with you according to what you can do and what you can bring me? Well, in that case, you're going to have to deal with my holiness. 
And so he comes and there's a thick, dark cloud that surrounds the mountain and there's a barricade at the bottom. And God says, Moses, don't let anybody come through and touch this mountain because if they touch this mountain, they will die. They can't deal with the holiness of God. And there was such a great overwhelming sense of sin. And I got to be honest with you. I remember when I first got saved, there was an overwhelming sense of my sin. Y'all ever had that overwhelming sense? I believe at some point in everybody's life and really when conversion truly happens in a human heart, there's a realization of how messed up and how filthy and how broken you are. And in that moment, it's almost like you're, you're like, oh my God, God is going to kill me. I'm going to die here today. And then all of a sudden you realize His love comes to you and His mercy comes to you and His grace comes to you. And while that light exposes your sinfulness, He's saying, you know what? I've been waiting on this from the beginning of time. I sent my son to die for you because I loved you while you were in that sin and I have come to deliver you from it and bring you out of it and wash you clean from that sin. But see, there's an awareness of it. There's something beautiful about that when you're undone because of your sinfulness and then all of a sudden that's where the grace of God meets you. That's where it meets you. Y'all hear me? So, he does this, and that's the new and the living way. In the Old Covenant, they couldn't come to the mountain or they'd die. See, the Old, the old Testament is this. Here's the Old Covenant mentality. And, and, and it, you, go minister, minister. How many people have y'all, if you go out and you do evangelism, you try to talk to people about Jesus? Somebody said the other day that 99% of the church has never led one person to Jesus Christ. Y'all ever heard that statistic? 99% of the church has never led one person to Jesus Christ. So sometimes, though, when you try to lead people to Jesus... They'll, they'll, especially in Clay County, because we have an old covenant mentality in the hills. We do. We got religion. Here's the thing. We got so many churches, but most churches ain't preaching the gospel. That's a fact. And so, but what people have is they have a mentality that they got to keep certain rules. They got to wear certain clothes. They got to do certain things. They got to look a certain way. They got to speak a certain way. And if they do that, then they might be good enough to come to church. They might be good enough to come into the presence of God. What Jessica quoted this morning is the exact opposite. You cannot change apart from God. You cannot change apart from the presence of God. We're not here to say, hey, get your act together and then you can come to God. We're here to say your act is not together and the only way you're ever going to get it together is come as you are into the presence of God now. We don't care what you've done, who you are. You need to be with God in His presence. You need to lift your hands and worship. Yeah, but pastor, you don't realize what I did last week. I don't care what you did last week. Come into the presence of God and you won't do it next week because He'll get a hold of your heart and He'll change your emotions, your feelings, your desires. He will give you new life and a new heart. See, and that's what we've got to be, man. When we talk about a city of hope, the only way we're going to be a city of hope truly is when we recognize that, man, our people are broken. Our people are in religious bondage and it's not our job to push them away from God and say, y'all need to get it right. You need to get your act together. Our job is to realize they don't have their act together and neither do we. And the only way we're going to get it is if we come into the presence of Jesus Christ by his blood. Amen. Amen. And this is, this is the gospel. This is why it's so good because he's saying you've not come to Mount Sinai where you've got to be scared to death that the walls are going to fall in you. And, and, and there are people that legitimately have told me if I come into your church, the walls will fall in. I said, well, guess what? I've been there every Sunday and they ain't fell in yet. Amen. 
I, I, never, I didn't become a better person because I tried. I became a better person because I surrendered my heart to Jesus Christ and said, you take control. You take control. I can't do this. I got no power. I got no strength. I tried to be a good person and failed, Lord. I read your laws and I said, I'm going to quit that. I'm going to quit this. And I failed over and over and over again. And finally, I came to the end of myself and said, I can't do this. And when I said that, there was a transformation that was unlocked in my heart. And the power of God was activated in my life. And see, you're coming by a new and living way. Jesus has paid the price for every single one of you, no matter what you're struggling with, to come into his presence. And you can come boldly to the throne of grace. You you don't have to fear and say, well, I, I slipped this past week. I failed this past week. No, you come and you bring that sin under the blood and you say, Lord, I'm walking in the light. I failed last week, but I confess that sin to you. I'm coming into the blood this morning. I'm letting it cleanse me and I give you the worship and the honor that you deserve because I'm not good enough to be here. But Jesus, you took my place. You were my substitute and now I can worship freely and know that you receive it. Not based on my goodness, God, based on your goodness. That's the new covenant that Jesus... And man, that's, that's why it's good news. That's why it's good news. If I had to be perfect... Me and Justin were talking about it the other day. We were driving home from this conference and we said, you know what, buddy, all we got to do if we're going to reach people, we just got to be perfect. <laughs> well, we ain't going to reach nobody then, are we? Because he and I are far from Perfect. And you are too. We're not going to do this thing. And don't get me wrong. Like I said, I want holiness. I don't know about you. I don't want sin in my life. I want to get as far away from anything that would defile me as possible. I want to live holier than the old covenant law. You know what I'm talking about? I want, I want, I want to be pure. But I know that it's not going to come from me following a set of rules that you wrote down on a piece of paper. It's going to come because the living God is burning in my heart. It's going to come because I go to a prayer closet every night and I spend my time with the Lord instead of watching foolishness. It's going to come because our relationship with God is on fire and we're burning for him. And we're choosing to, to, to get rid of the thoughts that are in our mind and saying, God, I want to fill my thoughts with you. I want to come to you. I want you to be in my heart. Now, here's let me compare the old with the New Testament real quick. Let's look at some of these. This is just I'm going to give you a list of some things that I wrote down. So the, the old covenant, if you compare it with the new covenant, it's like this. In the old covenant, God demands righteousness from man. He says, look, y'all got to keep this law. If you keep it, you're good. If not. But in the second God in, in the new covenant, God imputes righteousness through the finished work of Christ. So in other words, God says in the old covenant, hey, you got to do this. You got to keep everything. But in the new covenant, God says, all right, now you realize you can't keep it. So what will happen is I will place this, your sin on Christ and I will place his righteousness on you through faith. That means when I come in prayer, I come in Jesus name. And that means that I'm coming as Jesus because I'm now clothed in his righteousness. Amen. Next one. The old covenant says that God will visit your sins to the third and fourth generations. And you know that many people are still under the curse out there. We still see the curse activated in human life. And we see it passed down from generation to generation to generation. And God says, I'm going to visit your sins to the third and fourth generations. And we see those sins passing down in families. But do you realize this? That when one person out of one family gives their life to Jesus Christ, see the new covenant says God will forgive and remember your sins no more. He's not going to hold your sins against you from the past. He is going to obliterate your sins and remember them no more. I'm going to get to heaven one 
one day and I'm going to stand before God and he's going to say, well, I got to bring you into judgment for all of your works and everything that you've done. And listen, he's going to bring me into judgment. My motives are going to be exposed. Every deed in my body, whether it's good or bad, is going to be weighed in the balance. But when it comes to my sin and whether or not I'm going to heaven or hell, I'll say, do you remember that stuff I did when I was about 18 years old and this and that and this and that and this and that? He'll say, I can't remember that. And I'll say, God, how come you can't remember that? He said, well, all I know is there was some blood that was wiped all over it and it just sort of smeared it out and it went away. And he says, I'm going to remember that no more. I'm not holding. When you come to Jesus, the good news is he's not holding your past against you anymore. He's not saying, people come to me all the time. They say, well, you know, I'm always afraid I'm going to be punished for my past. No, Jesus was punished for your past on the cross 2,000 years ago. The next one. It says, you're blessed if you keep the commandments perfectly and you're cursed if you don't. If you kept the commandments perfectly, the blessing would come upon you. You'd be the head and not the tail above only and not belief. You, you would be blessed in your house and blessed in the field and blessed in all these places. But if you broke it in one point, the curse came upon you. But in the new covenant, you're blessed not based on what you do, but you're blessed based on what Jesus has done. And he fulfilled the law for me and redeemed me from the curse of the law. So the curse is no longer on my life because Jesus broke the curse. Why? Because on the cross, he didn't deserve the curse. He didn't deserve death, but he took it for me. He became a curse for me so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon me. There was an exchange. The next one. In the old covenant, I rely on myself to change my outward behavior, but my heart doesn't change. And some of y'all, you get caught up in this. Man, you're just trying harder to be a better person, trying harder to deal with your temper, trying harder to, to quit lusting, trying harder to quit all this stuff, but your heart is not changing. You can even put, you know, sometimes in relationships, like if you got, if you got a married couple and the, and the wife's trying to get the husband to quit doing something and she like puts all these boundaries around him. Old covenant mentality. You can put as many boundaries on him as you want to, but if his heart don't change, you still got the same guy outwardly looking different. We don't want outward, outward behavior modification. We want inner heart transformation. And when we have a relationship with Jesus, it's not that I have to put a bunch of boundaries up anymore. I don't want it anymore. He's changed me on the inside. There's something different that has happened. This is not outward religion. The next one, it says, The blood of animals covered sins for one year in the Old Covenant, and always had to be repeated. They were constantly offering another lamb up to God, constantly another blood offering because they wanted to get their sins covered. But let me tell you something. When Jesus went to the cross and His blood was offered, it removed all sins of believers forever. There was one perfect offering forever. And you say, well, what does that mean? Does that mean I can just go on sinning now? No. Again, if the grace of God is activated in your heart, you don't want to sin. But if you fail, He says, guess what? If you sin, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. But if you sin, you have an added Advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And if I confess my sin, He is faithful and just to forgive me of all of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And what I do now is I walk in the light with my sin. And it says, as I walk in the light, the blood of Jesus is continually cleansing me from all sin. Sometimes I come up in here and I worship and I just thank the Lord. If, I, if there's anything on my heart, if there's somebody I need to forgive, whatever it is, I just lift it up to the Lord and I say, Lord, I thank you that as I walk in the light, your blood cleanses me from all sin eternally. I don't have to, we don't have to offer any more blood. We don't have to offer any more of that stuff. Here's the last one. In the old covenant, there was no intimate relationship with God because sin put a distance between us and God. Basically, sin made me feel like I was far from God. And in some ways, it still does, doesn't it? 
When you sin, shame comes into your life. Guilt comes into your life. And then Satan brings accusation and condemnation, makes you feel like a piece of trash. And he tells you, you don't deserve to be in the presence of God. But in the new covenant, we have intimacy because we know the blood has made us clean and righteous. And God now lives in us and not in a building. In the old covenant, God lived in the temple. He lived in the tabernacle. But now, guess what? In the new covenant, the blood has made you so clean that you have become the temple. He lives on the inside of you because you have become clean. Those are the difference. And you know, here's the thing. The prophets, they recognize. The prophets recognize that, look, the old covenant is no good. It's not working the way that it's supposed to. We keep rebelling. We keep failing. We're not entering into the blessing. We're being enslaved by Babylon. God is casting us out. Judgment is coming. And when we deal with the holiness of God, we just, we don't, we have nothing. And Israel was in a terrible position. And Jeremiah and the prophets begin to catch another glimpse and in Jeremiah 31 31 he says the days are coming behold the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel not as I made with them on Mount Sinai because they could not keep my commandments he said but I'm making a new covenant where I will fill them with my spirit and I will write their laws my laws in their hearts and in their minds and they shall all have an intimate relationship with me and I will forgive their iniquities and remember their sin no more Jeremiah was prophesying about a new covenant that was coming. He said the laws weren't going to be written on stone anymore. The laws were going to be written in your heart. Man, I I remember the day that my life was transformed and I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit and all of a sudden everything that I was trying to do, everything I wanted to do to live for God, it seemed like it was outside of me and then one day it was on the inside of me. And all of a sudden I had a new power. I had a power to change. I had a power to live differently. And that's exactly what the prophets were talking about. And see, in Moses, in Exodus, and Moses was on the, on the mountain 40 days. And from Exodus 19 to 32, Moses was on the mountain. Long time, 40 days. God was giving him, giving him directions on how to build the tabernacle, how to set up the old covenant system of sacrifices. He was up there the whole time. He was reading the book of Exodus the whole time. Then all of a sudden he comes down because what happens is they're down there. I want you to imagine this. All those people, probably two, three million Jewish people, Moses up there on the mountain talking to God. They're down at the bottom. They've been waiting 40 days and they said, it's Moses guy done already left us out here. And he'd been up there 40 days. I mean, surely he would have been back by now. He said, we need some gods. Don't y'all do that whenever you get impatient? You're like, you know what? God ain't coming through. I need me a God. Y'all start turning to something else. You call the doctor, you call the lawyer, you call somebody, you get you a new God. Somebody amen me this morning. He's taking a little bit too much time. We need a new God. He ain't doing it on my timetable. I need a new God. So, so he said, all right, boys, give me all your jewelry. Give me your earrings, women. Give me your bracelets and whatnot. We're going to melt that down. I'll make you a golden calf. And we'll bow down and worship that thing. They started worshiping a golden calf at the bottom of the mountain. And it said that they started to eat and they drink and they rose up to play. In other words, they were just having a party like it was spring break in Panama City. You know what I'm talking about? Like they just started boogieing down there at the bottom of the mountain. And the Lord's talking to Moses and the Lord says, Moses, get up from here and go down because they done already blew it already. And Moses has the Ten Commandments and he brings the Ten Commandments down the mountain. And Moses is ticked off, son, like he is mad. And he comes to the bottom of the mountain. He sees them partying half naked and drunk at the bottom of the mountain, worshiping that golden calf. He takes the Ten Commandments, shatters them on the ground, goes and grabs their golden calf, grinds it up into a powder, pours it in water and says, drink this. 
makes them drink their own punishment, makes them drink it right there. And then he calls, I love it, in Exodus 32, verse 26, he said, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. Whoever's on the Lord's side, come to me. And he raised up the Levites and he told the Levites, he said, boys, go out and kill men, women, and children. And this is where people, when they read the Old Testament, they're like, boys, this is hardcore. He said, this is hardcore. And they go out and they kill 3,000 that day. 3,000 fall by the sword because of the judgment of God upon these people. But I want you to understand they come out, the Levites are the new priests, and they have this us versus them religion. You're not on our side, we're against you sinners. We're against you sinners. Y'all ever been to a church like that where they're just against sinners? Now again, we're against sin, ain't we? Right? Y'all, let's amen me. We're against sin. Hallelujah. To y'all on Facebook, we're against it. We are. But are we against sinners? Was Jesus against sinners? Was God against sinners? There's even, I've heard people preach it where they, you know, they, they bring out the book of Psalms where it says God hates sinners every day. Well, in my, in my Bible, in John 3, 16, there's a verse that trumps that. And it says that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. For God sent His Son into the world not to condemn the world because He hates sinners, but He sent His Son to save the world because He loves sinners. And everybody wants to twist that. Say, well, you know, God's angry. God's ticked. God's mad. Now, don't get me wrong. God's holy. God's pure. You can't bring sin into his presence. And in one way or another, he's going burn to burn it out of us one way or the other. But how he deals with people is not to bring judgment on sinners. Jesus came to reconcile sinners. He ate with the sinners. He spent time with them. And, you, and we often, I'll be honest with you, I've let the old covenant mentality slip into my mind. When I first got saved, God set me free, son. I quit drinking alcohol and I thought I'd just go and holler at everybody that was doing anything sinful. You know, I felt, I felt very righteous. That's what we do. We get saved. We get a little bit of Bible knowledge. And then we think, gosh, look how holy I am now. Man, I am, I'm so pure. I know scripture. I can quote scripture. Look at those sinners. <laughs> and I don't know how it gets into us, man, and it infects us and it infects churches. And all of a sudden we forget that, the, that God dealt with us with mercy and grace. And now we're dealing with people with wrath and judgment. I, I, I don't understand how we switch that quick back to an old covenant mentality where we don't realize. See, on the day of Pentecost in the old covenant, they come down, 3,000 die. What happens on the day of Pentecost in the new covenant? Now, there's a recreation of Mount Sinai, but they're on Mount Zion, and it says that there was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and this glory, the Spirit of the Lord, filled the house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them cloven tongues like as of fire. There's a recreation because, why? There was fire at Mount Sinai, but this is a different mountain and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance and they were proclaiming the wonderful works of God and they come out and Peter preaches this gospel message and 3,000 are not killed because they just murdered their Messiah 3,000 repented and they were saved on the day of Pentecost in the new covenant you see the difference there there's a distinguishing and Paul, in the book of 2 Corinthians, tries to write this out. And he says, boys, we are no longer ministers of the old covenant. It's, it's a shocking thing that, I mean, like I said, I, I've preached messages like this before and gotten feedback where people have actually been mad at me. They'd be like, buddy, you don't even believe in the Old Testament. Yes, I do. 
I believe the Old Testament from front to back. And I believe that the purpose it was written was to lead you to Jesus. And if you miss Jesus because you won't hold on to the old covenant, you need to read the book of Galatians and realize that you have fallen from grace. That you have missed it. Now, again, you, and here's, here's the world we live in, too. I got to take my time when I work with this stuff. Because right now there is a message that people, they call it, they call it the hyper grace message or, or the greasy grace. We will never preach grace in such a way where we condone sinful behavior. Because grace never condones sinful behavior. Grace dominates sinful behavior, destroys it in the human life, and enables somebody to live an overcoming life. Amen. So we're going to be grace preachers, but we believe that grace transforms the human heart and doesn't leave people in sin. Grace doesn't leave people in sin. It brings them out of it. And that's how we preach it. And Paul says this in 2 Corinthians verse 3 through 6. He said, He has made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And he's actually distinguishing the Old and the New Testament. He's saying the letter of the law killed 3,000. But when the Spirit came in the new covenant, he said the ministry that we're in, he said it gives life. 3,000 were saved. There's a distinction between the two. See, we have come to Mount Zion and our ministry is a ministry of reconciliation and not condemnation. That's what Paul says in that same chapter. He says, we're here to not condemn sinners, but to reconcile sinners to the Father. You believe, I mean, this is good, isn't it, church? Now, what happens if our church, if our people come into such an understanding of God the Father that when we see the broken, the drug addicts, the people that, are just, that have just sinned and committed some kind of terrible act, that we go to them not in judgment, but we go to them with the love of the Father that says, look, I know you're in this condition and that one day you're going to have to pay for your sin. But guess what? The good news is, is Jesus has already paid for it. And if you'll allow him, you can receive this salvation as well. But what is the fruit of our message as Christians? When you treat people a certain way and you tell them you're a Christian, are you instilling in them fear, guilt, manipulation or shame? Or are you instilling in them love, peace, reconciliation, and transformation? The Holy Spirit comes alongside us as an advocate to help us along the journey. And in the same way, if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we will come alongside others as an advocate to help them along the journey to lead them to Jesus. That's what ministry we've been called to. We are called to reconcile the broken into this place. See, the Old Testament, I've got to be honest with you, the Old Testament is tricky. But the Old Testament is not a pattern for ministry. It's not a pattern for ministry. The Old Testament is a story of how we get to Jesus. Now, what do you, what do you mean it's not a pattern for ministry? The whole Bible's good. What I'm saying is this. For example, let me give you an example. In the book, in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 9, some of the guys, John and, and, and some of the others, they come and, and the Samaritans reject Jesus. They reject him outright. And they said, well, you know what? Elijah called down fire out of heaven in the old covenant and burned them. He said, let's call down fire out of heaven, Jesus. Let's burn this town up. They're just going to reject you like that. You know what Jesus said? He said, you don't know what spirit you're of. Because we're not of the spirit of the old covenant anymore. We're of the spirit of life in the new covenant. And he said, for the son of man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. You see that? There is a difference. Now, does that mean the old covenant's bad? I love those stories, to be honest with you. But it's telling us something different. It's leading us. It's the old covenant is revealing to us the sinfulness of man, 
the holiness of God and how man needs a Savior. That's what it's revealing. So Jesus comes and he establishes that. Here's where I'm going to finish. See, if we follow Jesus' pattern of ministry, we see life transformation. One of my favorite stories in Scripture, Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 through 4. It's just four verses. But notice what it says. It says, When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed and Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. See, Jesus reaches out and touches this leper. Now, in the Jewish community, leprosy was the living symbol of sin. Somebody that had leprosy, I mean, they, it, it would disfigure their face, their skin was falling off, their ears were falling off, their nose was falling off, and they were ceremonially unclean. That lepers could not go to church. See, this is old covenant mentality. They were not allowed in the temple. Matter of fact, there were laws in Leviticus 13 and 14 that outlawed them from even being in community with anybody. Do, do we see? And as a church, I think sometimes we actually outlaw and shun people from being in community with us because of things that they have done or things that, that's happened in their past or whatever. And, and that comes upon them. Now, this man is not supposed to be there. According to law, when he comes to Jesus' feet, he should be stoned and put to death. Because he's supposed to be away. He's unclean. He's an unclean thing. But what makes the best sense if you understand this story is Jesus comes down from a mountain in verse 1. Now, he was up on the mountain teaching his law. And everybody, when he was teaching his law on the Sermon on the Mount, would have realized, man, this, is, this reminds me of Moses because he's quoting Moses. Jesus was saying things like, look, boys, don't think that I've come to destroy the law. I've come to fulfill it. But then he starts quoting the law. He says, you heard it. Moses said it, right? You shall not kill. But I say unto you, if you're angry at your brother without a cause, you've already committed murder in your heart. He said, you heard it said. Moses said it. Ten commandments. You shall not commit adultery. But I'm going to intensify it for you, fellas. If you look upon a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And it's like, boys, I thought we were under grace and not under law. What are you doing, Jesus? Grace doesn't deny the law. Grace intensifies the law. Because grace is not after your outward behavior. It's after the inner man of your heart. But here's the best thing about the difference between law and grace is law places a demand that you cannot answer. Grace places a greater demand but empowers you to answer it. Amen. It gets on the inside of you. And so he gives this greater law and he tells them, he says, listen, boys, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. I quoted that to Justin yesterday. I said, see, boys, we just got to be perfect. If we're just perfect, this thing will line up. I, I, I remember reading this and I thought, oh, my gosh, this is like this is the most exposing sermon of all time. I felt awful. You, I could boast in not having committed adultery, but I mean, you know, I looked on a woman with lust. When I, you know, what are you going to do, right? No way. And, but here's, here's the thing. They follow, multitudes follow Jesus off that mountain just like Moses did. You remember Moses comes off the mountain. He's angry. He's outraged at the sin at the bottom of that mountain. He breaks the tablets. He makes them drink their own judgment. Jesus comes off the same mountain. And as he gets to the bottom of the mountain, he sees sin at the bottom of the mountain. This man's breaking the law. 
He's eaten up with this ravenous disease that actually is a living reflection of our own sin. And Jesus is saying, you see this, this guy on the outside? That's the condition of your heart on the inside. That's the reason I just intensified the law to you because you guys think you're doing good and I'm here to tell you you're not doing good. Your heart is wretched and miserable and you need a savior. But if you'll come to me like this man came to me and fall down on your feet and say, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. If you're willing, you can make me clean. See, he came with humility and Jesus reached out and he touched the leper and he said, I am willing, be cleansed. And he began, that healing began to flow. And so they both come down that mountain. See, Moses came down, made them drink their punishment. But Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane said, Lord, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He drank that cup of punishment for us. You see, there's that difference between the law and between the grace that Jesus brings. And we got to understand that that is what Jesus is calling us to. We, Jesus is the most powerful element in the universe. That was the first time ever that something clean touched something unclean and it made it clean. Normally, Jesus would have become unclean or the person touching the leper would have become unclean. But Jesus, when he touches things, he makes them clean. So what that means is we're offering people this gospel. And we say, I know, I know you may feel unclean, but guess what? If you just come and you reach up here and you'll touch Jesus, he'll make you clean. He'll change your life. He'll give you a new heart. And if you begin a relationship with Jesus, he'll transform you from the inside out. I want you to bow your head with me.